So a few days ago, I got in the mail, as probably many of you did, a letter from AAA saying, renew your AAA, or else, if you don't renew your AAA, and you renew it only when you need it, you'll have to pay an extra $20. That's what it says in the, in the um, letter that I got. So I told my wife, I'm not planning to get any flat tires anytime soon. If I if I'll have to AAA this year, I'll pay the twenty dollars. Maybe I won't need it the whole year. Ninety dollars for AAA, twenty dollars for the extra fine. Maybe I won't need it. And sure enough, by divine providence, the very next day, flat tire. <laughs> so tonight I want to talk about flat tires because spiritual flat tires they happen far too frequently, far too dramatically for them just to be an artificial man-made thing. We don't plan to fall spiritually. We don't plan to get off of our mojo. But we all do. We all have ups and downs. And this week's Torah portion, it's funny, the title of the Torah portion is Kitisa, which means you go high, you go up, you go all the way up. Yet the content of the Torah portion is exactly the opposite. It's talking about the worst mistake ever made in history, the golden calf. So the title is When You Rise, We Go Up, and the content is When You Fall, and You Fall Badly. So why is it that we have these um, golden calf moments? And very important to analyze this because what happens is, as we say in our prayers, we, we say, we just said now in, in the evening prayer, move the sutton from in front of us, move the sutton from behind us. Why? Before you make a mistake, the evil inclination says to you, go for it, enjoy it, you deserve it, it won't matter, you're still a good Jew, it's okay. After you do it, he says, you see how low you are, you see what kind of a terrible person you are. You're a hopeless. You're hopeless. You're a fool. And, and, and what happens is, unfortunately, is often, is that you get deflated. You don't want to try again. Because you look at yourself in the mirror and you say that, yeah, I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm worthless. So it's very important to know how to analyze and how to understand these, these golden calf moments, which are largely orchestrated from Hashem. They're divine. Hashem created their golden, golden calf. How do I know Hashem created the golden calf? Didn't the Jews do the golden calf? I'll tell you. Tez and Gemara. Rabbi Shulam and Levi said, It was something the Jewish people couldn't have possibly, possibly have done. The reason that it happened was in order to open the mouth, in order to embolden and to give courage to those who are Ba'alei Teshuvah, to help people do Teshuvah, that's why it happened. That's what it says in the Talmud. But this Talmudic passage gives us more questions. Are you allowed to do a sin to help someone else do Teshuvah? You let it fall, someone else should rise. You let it say, I'm going, to do, I'm going to sin myself and later do tshuva. How does it make sense to say that they did this sin in order to help other people do tshuva? Not to do that. And second of all, why do we need to embolden Bali tshuva? Before the world was created, one of the things Hashem made before the world was created was tshuva. Tshuva, the power to return to Hashem, is otherworldly. It's something which is fundamental to what Jewishness is all about. So how come we need to, how come we need to embolden those, those who um, are Bali Teshuvah, those who want to return to Hashem, why need to be emboldened? It's a fundamental thing. It should be something that's accepted. Why the golden calf happened to embolden people, to make them feel the ability they can return to Hashem. What does that make, how does that make sense? So understand all this, let's go to a story that you've all heard before, but I don't know if you heard the deep meaning of the story, and if you have, I think it's worth, worth reviewing. It's something very, very fundamental and powerful. There was this non-Jew, he comes to Shammai, and he says to Shammai, I want you to teach me the entire Torah while I stand on one foot. So the Talmud says, Shammai doesn't accept this. Shammai pushes him away and he uses a, a building tool, a measuring rod to push the guy away. 
the Talmud says. The guy is um, not, doesn't give up. He goes to Hillel. His Hillel, same, same line, teach me the entire Torah while I stand on one foot. And Hill responds to him, what's hateful unto you, don't do to anybody else. And he says, what about all these books? You have, your, your, your room is full of books. It's, that's commentary. Go study the commentary. But that's all explaining this concept. What's hateful unto you, don't do to anybody else. So when you read the Talmud, you have to like pay attention to the nuances. All these, these slight nuances which have deep meaning. Here, the guy says, tell me the whole Torah while I stand on one foot. What's the one foot thing? Talk to me in one sentence. Like this Greek philosopher, Lahavzal, said, if you can't tell me your idea in three sentences, then don't talk to me. So why didn't the non-Jew, who was this guy? What was he saying, tell to me why I stand on one foot? Why do you have to add the one foot thing? What's the one foot thing about? And second of all, why is Shammai so violent? Violently pushes him away. And if he wants to be violent, why doesn't he use a sledgehammer? Why doesn't he use an axe? He pushes him away with a building tool, with a measuring rod, with a ruler. What does that mean? So, to understand this, I need to tell you about Chelm. Anyone been to Chelm? No? You never heard of Chelm? You never heard of Chelm? Chelm is a little north of Yazd. Chelm was a, a, a town which um, they have all these stories about, the wise men of Chelm. And it's not a tr- true story, of course, but uh, it's a story. It's a, it has a true true message. The foolish or the wise men of Chelm have this question. The question is, it's a true city, and they, they say the reason why they, they yeah, made all these jokes about... So the, so the, the reason all the jokes are about Chelm, they say, is because they're so brilliant and everyone's jealous of them. That's why they made these jokes about these people of Chelm pretending that they're foolish. But either way, the people of Chelm have this question. What's the question? Is what has more light? What is stronger, the sun or the moon? Couldn't figure it out, the sun or the moon? What gives off more light? So the men of Chelm are discussing this, the wise men, for a whole year. And after a whole year, they come to a conclusion. What has more light? The moon, of course. Why? The sun, big deal. The sun gives light during the day. The moon gives light at nighttime. Ah, that's a kunz, that's special. That's what the wise men of Chum decided. <laughs> so, there's a passage in the Talmud. It says this. The reason why the Jewish people were exiled to all different kinds of countries was only because Hashem wanted there to be more converts to Judaism. The reason why Jews were in Poland and Europe and everywhere else in the world is Hashem wanted there to be more converts to Judaism. Now, how does that make sense? Look at the number of converts there were historically. There aren't that many converts. And there's, look at the suffering of the Jewish people throughout all the different countries they've been in. A lot of suffering, not too many uh, ROI on the exile. Not too many converts. And isn't there, isn't there an easier way? I mean, to go, if to suffer, to make the converts, to go to all these countries so many years to make the converts, what does it mean? I'm going to tell you a fascinating teaching of Baal Shem Tov. Baal Shem Tov is taught like this. In the Talmud, Whenever it talks about someone converting to Judaism, the Talmud says it this way. If a convert converts to Judaism, Gershon is Geyer. Now, before you convert to Judaism, what are you? You're a convert? No, you're a non-Jew. And it should have said a non-Jew converts to Judaism. It says a servant who is freed. That makes sense. A servant who is freed. And it says a convert who converts. What do you mean a convert who converts? A Jew who converts. I mean a non-Jew who converts. So, Reb Chaim Azula, he explains it this way. He says, even though he's not Jewish yet, the fact that out of 8 billion people in the world, he decided he wants to be Jewish, it's because of he had some kind of spark, some kind of connection to Judaism. It's something in his soul that's stirring him that's making him want to convert to Judaism. And Hashem has a sp- unique ratification, a unique pleasure, a unique happiness happens in heaven when there's a transformation of darkness to light. 
So in a similar way, everything in the world has a divine spark in it. And when you use that, that physical thing for a holy divine purpose, you're releasing the divine sparks in that physical thing, and you're bringing those sparks to holiness. You're transforming darkness to light, and at the same time, there's no greater satisfaction, no greater happiness Hashem has than the transformation of darkness to light. So it's not just about converse going to Judaism, it's about converting and releasing all the darkness, all the divine sparks that are in various places and using for a holy purpose, and you're changing something, you're making a difference, you're, you're transforming that space in the world, you're making that space a holy space. That's the meaning of the verse that says that Tzaddik falls seven times, then he gets up again. What does that mean? Even that Tzaddik is not always the same. Tzaddikim also have fluctuation. They have ups and downs. But why is the Tzaddik fall seven times? So he should get up. Where should he get up to where? If, there's an expression in the Gemara, if you buy and sell for the same price, it's not business. If he falls, and he gets back to the same place he was before he fell, no point. So you have to say that the Tzaddik falls seven times, not just a Tzaddik, but every Jew is called a Tzaddik. Why do we fall? The purpose, the Rebbe says, every time a Jew falls, is always for the purpose of getting to a higher place. There's no such thing as a failure without there being some purpose in the failure. Because Hashem is also guiding things, not just our decisions, but the failure, the darkness added to the world is by divine design. Adam and Eve were told, don't eat from the tree. What does it say in the Torah? They eat from the tree. That was a plan. We also have our decision, a free will, and yet there's a divine... It's not the subject matter of tonight, but there is a purpose in every failure. That's the meaning of this passage in the Talmud. The Talmud says, someone asks you where God is. My son called me from Melbourne this week. He's, he's trying to inspire these young boys in this, in this, uh, in this uh, high school. And yeah, there's one, there's one boy who's like, I don't care, I don't care, I'm a different, it doesn't make a difference, you know. And we all have that little kid in us also, right? So I don't care, it doesn't matter, right? So if someone asks you, where is your God? What should you tell him? When I say, where is your God? What should you tell him? So Gemara Yushalmi says, Tainist Peizayin, oh, you say in your heart, what do you say? Where's your God? What do you tell him? What would you tell him? Where's everywhere. your God? You say everywhere. everywhere. All right? What would you say? Same thing. It's everywhere. It? All right? But that's not what the Gemara Yushalmi says. The Gemara says, if someone asks you, where is your God, you should tell them, your God is in the capital of Aram. What's going on in Aram? Why is God in Aram? What does that mean? It says in the Torah portion with the giving of the Torah, when God gave us the Torah, it says, Moses approached the darkness, and there was God. Moshe approached the darkness, and there was God. What does that mean? There's a lady in Israel. Um, she has a very prominent Shabbos table every week. I'm here, Miriam Rhodes. I'm here, Miriam Rhodes. Miriam Rhodes, you don't know her? She lives in Batayin. She has a very big Shabbos table every week. And um, and sh- she, in the 60s, she was very into spirituality. Where did Jews go for spirituality? She went to India looking for spirituality. And she was there for four years. She went to every ashram, every monastery. And she went to silencing. And she was doing everything to connect, trying to reconnect. But she didn't have any Jewish background. She, didn't have any, she was a Jewish girl. She had any knowledge of Judaism. She went to India. She's in India for four years. You hear this, hear, listen to the story. You open your heart and say the story. It's a very, very deep story. She's in India for four years, and she has a relative, a, a friend, who's in, in this girl's yeshiva in Crown Heights, Machan Khana. The relative in the girl's yeshiva says to her, listen, Passover's coming. Why don't you celebrate with us? 
So for whatever reason, a couple of different, a series of, of a string of, of events of divine providence to Crown Heights for Passover. She was in Crown Heights for Passover. And the Rebbe would go on the, night of, the first night of Passover to all the public seders. There were a few public seders in Crown Heights. There was a public seder for the Russians, public seder for the yeshiva students, public seder for the Russians, for the, uh, for the Persians. And the Rebbe would stop at each seder and never give a blessing to, um, to the, the various communities. And when the Rebbe came to the girls' yeshiva, this girl, Miriam, she was very, very deeply touched. She was very deeply inspired. She wanted to stay. She was so overwhelmed by the experience. And she stayed. And she starts sharing her story with her new friends in the yeshiva. She tells them how she was serving idols for four years. Now these girls in the yeshiva, they're very idealistic. And in yeshiva in general is a very um, competitive atmosphere. So the girls are like, well, we're also Bali Tshuva, we're also newcomers to this, but you really have no hope. <laughs> because, because, you know, you've, you've served idols. Idol, idolatry is like the worst sin. And not only that, you've stood it for four years, and she tells them all different things. Yeah, I was I was in the monastery for years, and and I, the only way you could possibly get another chance is if you die and you're reincarnated. If you die and you're reincarnated, then you can have a new fresh start. Or maybe another girl's like, well, if you roll around in the snow like for like for like years and you like suffer, so then there's then there's a way for your soul to be rescued. That's what the girls told her. So she wrote a long, long letter to the Rebbe, telling the Rebbe that in detail everything that she did in the four years in India. All kinds of things that she did, all kinds of experiences she went through. And she asked the Rebbe and told the Rebbe what the girls were telling her. What do you think the Rebbe told her? Is there hope for her? What do you think the Rebbe said to her? For sure. For sure. Why? She saw the darkness. Huh? She saw the darkness. She saw the darkness. Oh. oh. The, way, the Rebbe answered, only, only a Rebbe can answer. What would I say? I would say if she told me, yes, you have a soul, if you do tshuva, your, your sins turn to mitzvahs. The Rebbe answered only the way the Rebbe can answer. That's what I would say. I would say, of course, you still have a soul, and the country wasn't your fault. Where are you? Where you were God decided. You know what the Rebbe said there? That's in the Talmud. If someone tells you, I tried, and I wasn't successful, don't believe them. Someone says, I, says, I didn't try, and I'm successful, also don't believe them. Someone said, I tried, and I was successful, believe them. So the Rebbe said there, because you made an effort, sincerely and totally, that's why your effort was crowned with total, that's what you're going to be, your effort is going to be crowned with total success. The reason why you found Hashem was because, in other words, my words, because you were in the monasteries. Because you were really trying hard to find Hashem in the darkest places, you were trying so hard, that's why you found Hashem. So instead of the Rebbe telling you, you needed an atonement, they said the opposite. You elevated all of those experiences you had, all the darkness you've been through, by, by where you are today. So instead of it being like, you have to... <laughs> You have to atone for it. On the contrary, the reason why you found Hashem now was because of you went to the monasteries. You, you ever say that's your path? That's your path, exactly. You that's your path, exactly. That's that's the the um, she elevated all the sparks of the places that she was in. In other words, my words. So this gives us some insight into the story back to um, Hillel. When we dive in the Amidah, the Shmona Esrei, we put our feet together. Why do we put our feet together? Anyone know? We want to look like angels. Like angels, right. We want to be like angels. We want to go into an angelic space. We want to put our feet together like angels have one foot. And we want to be in the in the in angelic mode. We're thinking only about Hashem. We're trying to think only the words of the prayer. This guy finishes praying. And the rabbi says to him, Baruch welcome. Your mind was in Leipzig. So we, we, but angels, 
they're, they're one-dimensional, they're always holy, and always in love, and always in reverence with Hashem. But angels don't have knees. Angels don't have knees. And because they don't have knees, the Talmud says, the, the, the Tanakh says, angels are called standing. They can't walk. They can't go forward. You can't advance. Unless you have a knee that bends, that falls, you can't go forward. You can't walk unless you bend. If you don't bend, you can't walk. Angels can never advance. Angels are, the language of Popeye, I am what I am, that's all I am. Angels can change. Angels are the way they are. Human beings, we have the ability to fail. And because the ability to fail, the ability to rise. They say in, in AA that only a fellow alcoholic can help another alcoholic. Only if you've been there and you know what it's like, can I talk to you? Can I, do I want to hear from you? Sometimes I fall, and because I've fallen, I know what it's like, and therefore I could teach and reach out and help someone else out. And if I wouldn't have fallen then I wouldn't be able to relate to the other person anymore. The fact that I, we don't like to fall. That's what the non-Jew said to Hillel, to said to Shammai. He says, Shammai, I, I like spirituality, I like holiness, I like being on my A game. I want to be Jewish if I could always be on my A game. I want to have one leg. If I could have one leg like the angels, then I want to be Jewish. What did Shammai say to him? Shammai pushed him away with a measuring rod. What does that mean? Shammai said to him, dude, are you crazy? That's the whole point of creation. The whole point of creation is to bring Hashem satisfaction and happiness from the transformation of darkness to light. They go home for Hashem in the lowest realms. So therefore, of course, there's time you're going to have to fall. That's how it is. You see this phenomena by converts. You see this phenomena by returnees to their Judaism, that they come back to Judaism, and they, they're very passionate, and they're very excited, and then they, then they fall. And they like look at themselves in the mirror like, oh, and, and, and they don't know what to do next. And it happens all the time. And that's what the Talmud says. You know where the sin of the golden calf happened? To open the mouth. Not, it should have said, open the mouth of the wicked. Give, get, to embolden the wicked. The wicked should feel like it will come back to Hashem. It doesn't say that. It's to embolden who? The Baalei Teshuvah. Those who have returned to Hashem. Those who have made a step to come back to Hashem. They were those who converted. Those who are going back. And they fell again. Like, whoa, what's happening? I thought I made these decisions. The Talmud Torah says something very powerful. Torah says, look at the story of the giving of the Torah. We're at the highest point it could possibly be. We're face to face with Hashem Mount Sinai. It doesn't get better than that. And what happens next? Golden calf. So Torah is telling us, don't be affected by, by, the, uh, by, the, by the fall. Get back up. Have the faith in Hashem that Hashem is guiding you in a good place even when you've fallen. Realize that you're not have the faith in Hashem, that Hashem believes in you. Trust in Hashem, that Hashem believes in you and believes in that you have the ability to rescue and to elevate that experience, that failure itself. This is why the Talmud says, what was the atonement for the sin of the golden calf? The red heifer. What's the red heifer? What did Hill tell this guy? What did Hill say to the guy? Hill says, what's hateful unto you, don't do it to anybody else. What was Hill saying to him? So Hill says, hey, one second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hill says, whoa, 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 think about it. How come you're the only guy in the world that wants to be Jewish right now? Why you decide you want to be Jewish? What motivated you? You know why you wanted to be Jewish, Hillel says? Because somebody else fell. And they came back to Hashem. And they elevated divine sparks in their life. They elevated their darkness. And there's a ripple effect. When, when every person elevates the darkness in their life and come back to Hashem, what happens is that there's a ripple effect. And you were a product of the ripple effect. So Hillel is telling him, pay it forward. Do you know why... You're the way you are because someone else fell. You're asking, I want to always be on my A game. Would you want that to happen to you? Would you want always be? If, you, if everyone was on their A game, you wouldn't be here. The only reason why you were inspired to want to come close to Hashem because someone else fell and they came back and that's what lifted you up. 
So therefore, you can ask. You should always be on your aching because you always be on your aching, and then 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 it's not going to go forward. The next guy needs needs help. So Hill is telling him that the reason you fell is in order to help lift someone else up. And that's the concept of the red heifer. What's a red heifer? Why is red heifer considered a super rational law? It makes pure those who are impure. It makes impure those who are pure. Sometimes the reason we, that a divine, divinely we fail and we have a flat tire is because is because we need to lift up that experience. We lift up someone else. So so when we when it happens and, and, it, and, and of course the Talmud says you can't plan to. To sin and then, and then try to repent later—that's that's wrong and then doesn't work. But on the other hand, buy a triple A card. Buy a triple A card. Uh, I, I got a flat tire the next day after I'm not getting triple A. The next day I got a flat tire, and Baruch Hashem, Oscar fixed it. I didn't have to use triple A. Anyways, I'm still going to get the triple A card. But anyways, still the point I'm trying to say is that if what I'm trying to say is the title of the six Torah portion is to be elevated. Torah is telling us you want to know where your greatest elevation is from. It's from your golden calf moments. Your golden calf moment in your life, you look, this is the worst moment, this is the foolish thing, the most craziest thing, I wish I would never have done that, that's where your greatness comes from. That's the meaning of the Thomas the passage. You want, someone asks you, where is your God? Tell him your God is in the capital of Rome. What does that mean? Rome was a city of idolatry, it was rampant with idolatry. In the capital of Aram, in Rome, there was full of idolatry. Someone says to you, where is your God? There's an edge in his voice. He's saying, you have a God, it's not my God. Or the voice in yourself. It's not. I don't. Your your rebelliousness, your insensitivity, your your heresy. Your 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 you're disenchanted. You're disenfranchised. It says, "Where is your God?" So, what's your response to "Where is your God?" You know where your God is. The guy's asking a question. Where Where is your God? What do you What do you tell him? Tell him it's in Rome. What does that mean? It's in your question. It's in your insensitivity. It's in your heresy. It's in your disenfranchisement. It's in the part of you which says, I don't want. That's where Hashem is. You are in the place of Hashem. And therefore you're able to come back because you never left. Because Hashem created that space, that darkness, that that space you're in. Which is, where is your God? That that space of of separation, that's where Hashem is. That's where the greatest light comes from. So the guy is saying, where is your God? That's where Hashem is, in that question. In that question, but it has nothing to do with me. That's where you find the greatest light. L'chaim, we should all connect to the power of this week's Torah portion and be uh, really elevated. Really elevated. Realize that where we are is where we're meant to be. And also, I want to conclude with one more, one more sentence. L'chaim, l'chaim, there was a there was a fascinating one more sentence. I'll let you guys go. There was a fascinating story that Rabbi Levin shared last month at Shabbos. I know all of you listen to every single one of my, my millions of podcasts. You have to listen to the story. I'll just leave one line from the story. There was a chassid of the Breb Marash, his name was Elia Beller. Elia Beller was a tall guy. He was a broad-shouldered, he was a handsome guy. And he was working with all the Polish nobility and the Russian nobility. He was a lumber merchant. And the, the Reb Marash once said to him, I'm jealous of you, Elia. You go among all these people and you withstand the challenges that you have. And that's so important. It warmed up his neshama so much. It was a simple guy. Their master said to him, Elia, you go in the marketplace. You see a lot of people, he said to him. You see a lot of people. And you, when you see some people, you share with them a story of the Talmud. You share with them an inspiration why they should study more. Why they should, and, and you cause them people to, to study more. More to reveal parts of the Torah. More the inner dimension of the Torah. And Hashem has such satisfaction from this, said the Rebbe that he pays you back with children, with health, with a livelihood, and he said to him, the greater the marketplace, the greater the business. And so the, this guy, this sort of Elia Beller, he, he was so excited about this, he got all of his, when he came back to home, he told everyone, all his friends about it, 
And he told the previous Shabbat 30 years later, 30 years later, he says, every single day, I think about what the Rebbe told me. I review the words that he said. And I go out in the marketplace and I tell people, you know what you could do? You could, and he inspires people to learn Torah. And the next time I see them, they have something to share with each other. They're learning. And he, and he said, the previous Shabbat said, you could see in his face that, that, there was a, that, that, that he was so radiant that he felt it was worth living for 30 years to be able to fulfill the purpose of why Hashem was here. And that, that's, that's, that's what it's about. It's like, wherever we are, wherever the circumstances Hashem brings us to, it's about reaching out to others, inspiring other people, and uh, whatever challenges we've been in, it's, we're exactly where we're meant to be, and we should see the Emes Kisisa elevation with the coming Mashiach, the kingdom, take from Yamamash. L'chaim.